0: Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Modern Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Caleb Jones. He is an online coach, a blogger, and a prominent figure in the non-monogamy scene. Now, statistically, most marriages will end in divorce. It's a sad fact, but unfortunately one that's true. And this has caused many people to seek an alternative setup for their relationships. Hilariously, I'm actually away in Barcelona at a wedding at the moment. So I apologise to Andy and Jess. Uh, This isn't a comment on how I think the future of your relationship is going to go. But Caleb is a superbly interesting guy. And this particular topic is nothing short of fascinating. I was, I wouldn't say triggered, but it brought up a lot of very visceral emotions, um, thinking about allowing someone that you love to sleep with somebody else and the discussion we have is quite nuanced. I'm really interested to hear what other people think because I found it challenging to talk about it and think about it in a, a very unique way. So I'm going to stop chatting shit and I'll let you listen to Caleb take it away. But yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts at ChrisWellX on all social media. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, thousand companies have already made the move. So do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash modern right now. That's netsuite.com slash modern. But for now, please welcome Caleb Jones. I'm joined by Caleb Jones, all the way from the other side of the Atlantic. How are you today? I'm good, how are you? Very good, man, very good. Very glad to have you on. Lots of interesting stuff for us to speak about. You have got the largest tankard. That you're drinking out of that I've ever seen. What is that?
1: You know, I drink a lot of water, and so I would have these little cups by my desk, and they're never big enough. So I was like, I gotta get a fucking, you know, I gotta get a tanker, I gotta get something real.
0: What does that? So, that's like a what liter and a half? Or you guys would call it like a gallon. Uh, I guess? Uh, yeah, probably a liter and a half.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something. It's just water. It'd be cool if it was vodka, but it's not.
0: Yeah, or like some mead. It's a bit Game of Thrones, mead, Yeah. Of
1: I don't drink. I've never been drunk in my entire life, so I just it just makes me look cool when I drink my water, I guess.
0: That's an interesting lifestyle choice. Why did you choose to do that?
1: You know, I don't have an answer for that question. I wish I had an answer. I wish I had some kind of cool story like, well, my parents were alcoholics and no, my parents were normal. And, um, here's my guess. So when I was in seventh grade, seventh grade, so I was about, uh, yeah, about 12, I took one of the cans of beer out of my dad's refrigerator. And I took it on the side of the house and took a little coffee cup and I filled it up and I, I promised myself I'd drink the whole beer Cause I want to get drunk. Cause that looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. And I went, uh, 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 and I made myself drink the whole beer. I went, Oh, this is terrible. And I wait. Till, I can't wait till I get drunk. I kept drinking and drinking and then nothing happened. I just felt dizzy for a few minutes. And I think maybe that was it. I don't, maybe I'm guessing. Yes. I'm also uh, an INTJ for Myers-Briggs, those Myers-Briggs personality types. Okay. Yep. So I'm an INTJ and I'm an extreme INTJ. So my little dot is in the far upper corner and the INTJ is in the far upper corner of the 16 personality types. Mm-hmm. So not only am I an, am I an INTJ, I'm an extreme version of an INTJ. Mm-hmm. And so one of the aspects of most INTJs, not all of them, is that I'm a control freak over myself, but I don't want to control anybody else. So I'm thinking that – sub, this isn't conscious. Yep. But maybe subconsciously I don't want to lose control of myself by getting yeah, drunk. Yeah,
0: I understand. I think it's – I don't know. That's a guess. I really don't know. That's there, the same for my I'm mom. I'm going to have to do it at some
1: point. Yeah. People are like, you got to get drunk once. All right, I'll get drunk once.
0: It's, fine. it's a So I'm nine months into 18 months sober, right? I'm a club promoter by trade. So oh, I've run, okay. run nightclubs for uh, 12 years and that's been my How
1: many? You're nine months in?
0: Nine months sober, yeah. But this is the, uh, I've done six months twice and I'm doing nine months now just to see if I can. Um, okay. My argument is that I work in the nightlife industry. I've worked around about a thousand nights in my career across the last decade and a bit. Um, so if, if I can do it, other people can. And Mm -hmm. on top of that as well,
1: do you wait, do you consider yourself an alcoholic or no? No, no.
0: So Ed Ed Latimore, have you heard of Ed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I podcasted with Ed and he uh, synopsized alcohol and people's views of sobriety better than anyone I've ever heard before. And it's this sentence, alcohol is the only drug where if you don't do it, people assume you have a problem. Yes. No exactly. one's saying to you, why are you not shooting up with heroin today? Why have mm-hmm. you not got a massive line of cocaine on your desk behind you? But alcohol's so ingrained into our society that people just right. say, you're not drinking, you must have a problem with alcohol. That's the only right. reason that anyone would choose to go sober. Whereas for me, I, I, I was a typical sort of social drinker, go out maybe once every fortnight, but I'm a club promoter drinker, right? So when you go out, you go hard. Like right. going, it's straight arming spirits into your mouth in a nightclub, etc. Cetera, yeah. et cetera, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just, about two and a bit years ago, I wanted to do more with my life. I wanted to have a lot of experiences. I wanted to travel more. I wanted to start this podcast. I wanted to push my business and my fitness and my, I wanted to develop a reading habit and a meditation habit and all these other things. And I looked at my time as if it was a set of accounts and saw that there was this big day and a half cost getting chopped out of my fortnight Mm. fortnight period. One day hungover and then a half a day at maybe 50% capacity and then you finally get back onto it. So I honestly think it, it doesn't surprise me that you have a lot of irons in the fire considering you've never been knocked off with a hangover. Like the only time that you'll be like that's if you're ill.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. I've wondered about if I was a typical drinker or even a heavy drinker, because I've got some of those guys in my family, where I would be today as opposed to where I am now. And also how I would look, how my skin, I'm 47, so how my skin would look now. You look fantastic for
0: 47. Well, I moisturize. That's the key, ladies and gentlemen, moisturize early.
1: Yeah, my I, there's an old Doctor Who line. The girl says, "You're 900 years old." And He's like, "Why well, moisturize? Mm. <laughs> Why moisturize?" Yeah, but I know I have buddies who are my age, and I've known since high school, who are you know not even big drinkers, just but regular drinkers, and my god, you can see the difference. Even guys who don't get a lot of sun like me, they still like wow. Yeah. Or smokers too. Smoking's the other one. Smoking and drinking. I've never smoked anything either. Yeah, I smoked. A, I smoked some weed once for about three seconds. So, <coughs> okay, here you go. Thanks. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. So what I had to learn how to do was to drink wine. I'll sip wine mm. because for what you're talking about, I would sit with a group of people or even on a first date with a woman and they'd be drinking and I'd have nothing or my water mm. and i go, why don't you drink? They, people get uncomfortable, yeah. especially do. if everyone else is drinking and you're not, especially including if you're one-on-one, they're drinking and you're not. People hate that. Yeah. Why don't you drink? So I had to learn to find whatever the most pussy wine there was, which is Riesling, I think. Okay. So I get a Riesling. Little girly wine tastes almost like apple juice. And I would yep, take yep. a sip and they go, Oh, good, he's drinking. Okay, good. Yeah. And then they start drinking again. They go don't good. notice long that long you've only gone through,
0: deal. you've gone through like one glass in the time that someone else has gone through a bottle. Not even a glass. Yeah.
1: Half a glass. Yeah, I get half you. Half a glass for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> but it looks like I'm drinking because it's sitting in front of me and it's less than what I got when I was served to me. So they like, Oh, good. Okay. He's drinking now. I can relax. Now that someone else is doing something, I can relax, which is yeah. the exact opposite of my entire viewpoint of life. But. Man. That's what human beings are. We're communal creatures. We're mimetic
0: creatures, as my friend George hey. and uh, hey. previous uh, guest of the podcast would say. Yeah, it's alcohol's a weird one, man. It triggers people in such bizarre ways. You're totally right. This, like, there's nothing else. Like, no, no one else is shooting up heroin or getting a tattoo or going like going paleo or like riding their bike to work and saying like, why are you not doing all of these things?
1: People do. That's a- changing, you know, in some parts of the world, especially in mine, I don't know about, I don't know about England, probably not. But in my part of the world, so the Pacific Northwest United States, weed is becoming like that now. Oh, you okay. don't smoke weed? People are kind of, they're starting to get surprised now because it's become so prevalent mm. and, it's, and it's legal in most parts of the United States now. Maybe not most, a lot. Yes, so weed, marijuana is starting to move in that zone of alcohol where people, they don't think something's wrong with you, you don't smoke weed, but they are. I've had people be surprised that, that you I don't,
0: don't. It's in this region. Do you think that that's partly because you're a, a blogger, an author, writer, one of those creative types kind of push, probably pushing the boundaries? You maybe sound like the sort of person that has that personality.
1: Probably. Yeah, probably. Another is another aspect is that I'm a libertarian. So they just expect that that's part of the deal. Another one is people who know my lifestyle sexually, they go, well, really? I'm shocked you don't smoke weed. So maybe it's a lot of factors. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. If, you, if you're if
0: sleeping with, with multiple women and not holding down monogamous relationships, making a stand... Uh, presuming, people presuming that you may be making a moral stand or some sort of virtue stand with regards to the alcohol or the weed, which it doesn't seem- Oh, I get that a lot. Yeah, it doesn't seem as the case. It's just a lifestyle choice. The same way as some people don't like to wear blue or some people don't like to drive stick. Like this is just a lifestyle choice.
1: Yeah. Oh, I've gotten that a lot. People assume that I'm Christian or, or, or Mormon or something like that. Oh, you must be really religious. You don't you don't drink? No. No. I'm agnostic. <laughs> the opposite of religious. It's societal programming. No. Oh, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm not religious. So no. So yeah, I've definitely gotten that. Yeah. That's just part of it's part of the culture I've learned to accept. You have to learn to accept the oddness of your culture, or else you're gonna be pissed off all the time.
0: The mar- and I want to be happy,
1: so I can't do that.
0: The marijuana thing's bizarre because we're seeing we're seeing a substance go from being heavily controlled to legalized for medical use to like fragmented legalization across uh, uh, the states. In certain areas it is still illegal, some it's legal for medicine, some it's totally legal recreationally, and we're observing the uh, social conditioning change Mm -hmm. in front of our eyes.
1: Mm -hmm. Most Americans, I don't know about most, half? I forget the stats, they always change. Something like half or most of Americans are on something anyway, prescription drugs, things like that. Yep. Something like the, the majority, not the vast majority, but the majority of women over 35, over 35 or 40, again, I forget the statistics, are on some kind of mood-altering drug. Man, that's terrifying. It's, it's really bad. So irregardless, irregardless, regardless of weed, irregardless is not a word, <laughs> my grammar teacher, regardless of weed, people are on drugs anyway. It's just it's part of our culture.
0: Which one do you and want to choose? And it's getting
1: worse. As, societal, as Western society continues its slow collapse, you're going to see more and more people going in that direction anyway, finding something that will make them not miserable. So it, it makes sense to me that more people will be smoking weed or prescription drugs. Heroin is a big epidemic now, at least in the United States. Heroin has gone crazy. last four or five years, it's gone nuts.
0: There's a um, have seen it. There's some really interesting TV shows. So the, the UK, um, we get exposed to – some of the stuff from America, but I think it's mm-hmm. quite, it's quite difficult for us to fact check, not fact check, but like a virtue check or integrity check the, um, content that we're being fed because like, I see a lot of stuff so? like, so I'll see stuff from Netflix. That's like dope, which is a really cool, uh, Netflix documentary series, two seasons in, um, each episode is in a different U S state, uh, yeah. U S city, and one mm. f- film crew follows the cops, and one film crew follows the drug dealers, and you see cool. how the two are trying to catch each other and how they play cool. off against each other. It's all cool. uh, mm. all the drug dealers have got masks on and stuff like that. It's
1: yeah. honestly
0: fascinating TV program for anyone in the UK that hasn't seen it yet. I suggest that you go watch it now. But like stuff like that, like I don't know how how realistic or how dramatized that is. But they talk about this fentanyl crisis and they talk about um, like Xanax crises and, and and all this sort of stuff. Um, and, yeah, trying to judge it from the UK, because we don't have – the big pharma companies aren't allowed to advertise on TV. So that ask right. your doctor. That right. All that stuff doesn't exist right for
1: us. I, I wonder – It's, it's I, an epidemic, but it's not something you see out in the world. So you can go to a mall or walk down the street in the United States, and you will not be able to tell that people are on whatever they're on, or they're going to take something later that evening. Even with a lot of the heroin people, you really can't tell. Mm. So – but when you get to meet people and talk to people and get into their lives, you find out, oh, my God, really? Holy crap. Just women alone, women I've seen last four or five years, the heroin thing is it's it's nothing like it was 10 years ago. It's a noticeable difference. And again, that could be regional. The United States is such a big place. It's very hard to say in the United States. Everything's localized, right? States. Yeah. You can't say, yeah, I live between Seattle and Portland. So in that area is what I experience when I'm not traveling. I travel a lot. So it's hard to say the United States. That's why I like these people who set a goal to like visit a hundred countries. I, I my goal is based on cities. Because if you've been to Beijing, have you visited China? Yeah. No. You visited Be- if you went to, to New York, have you visited the United States? No. You visited <laughs> New York. Same kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it is it's it's really interesting. And uh again, I just this is we we talked about this earlier. I just not something I'm interested in anymore. I just I don't care.
0: Yeah. I'm, How um I'm, so I I totally understand the people's desire to escape feeling. Feeling feelings is hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like like some, yeah. some feelings really suck. Yeah. But, but I think
1: it shows. That's why you have to learn to manage your emotional states. That's why you have to learn emotional control. I'm telling guys this all the time.
0: What because sort if of-
1: you don't, you're fucked, especially living today. You're going to be screwed with the internet, just with the internet alone. Very hard to be happy if you can't manage your own emotions. Because every day you'll be pissed off about something you are
0: constantly being triggered, you're right. It's interesting to see the difference between how, and again, this may be localized within my area or my social group in the UK, but certainly for me, if you were to say, tell me one person that you know that is on a mood altering drug, mm-hmm. I would actually struggle to be able to find someone that, really? I, someone that I know. And I think what that shows, wow. what that shows is um the natural way to deal with bad emotions can be dictated by what firstly social uh, societal conditioning in your local peer group other people around you in the u.s uh maybe oh you feel bad there's a vi- vicodin or you should just go see your doctor or whatever it might be um right but on top of that as well obviously it's top down it's being uh broadcast at you like you have a problem the solution yeah. is it, the solution is it in a pill or a cream or a da 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 da
1: As you said that, I just thought through in my own head how many people I personally know on something. and I came up with six names. I know a lot of people, though. So maybe I'm not a good example. But as I'm thinking, I'm thinking of more or seven. The number of people I personally know on something, even if it's a prescription something. Yeah.
0: So my my point is that I I think I, I wonder how many people who really need medication slip through the net. In the UK, by not having this awareness about the fact that prescription drugs could help, and how many people in the US are being oversold on things that they don't need because of this societal conditioning and because of this stuff here?
1: Sure. Well, that last aspect is most people who take these drugs. <laughs> if you just did basic things like get eight hours of sleep, drink a lot more water, monitor your hormones, get your hormone tests done, meditate a little bit, focus on something you like have more sex. You just do those basic things. All of a sudden, a lot of these symptoms, not all of them, depends the person, would go away with no drugs. And these would actually enhance your life instead of causing side effects. But what I just said, those things, those are hard. That takes work. People go, I don't want want to work. All right. Take a drug then. Well, a
0: pill's pill's super easy. Have you read um, Lost Connections by Johan Hari? No, fantastic book on depression, highly recommended if you've got a
1: so clinical depression or just disp- in depression in general.
0: Uh, depression in general. So okay. he looks at the standard model of depression that it's an imbalance of chemicals in the brain um, and Send
1: that to me when we're done talking, I'm interested. a yeah, fantastic
0: to send guy. I cannot. Johan, if you're <laughs> listening, he he does tune in sometimes. If you're listening, I'm going to continue hustling you to come on, because I need you yeah. I need to speak to you, man. <laughs> um but it's a fantastic book really really interesting and he identifies nine biological causes of depression mm-hmm. uh, uh sorry seven biological seven environmental causes of depression two biological and the bio, the environmental ones are like that's um,
1: about that makes sense to me seven out of nine that's about right yeah. it's about what i would expect
0: yeah and he talks yeah. about um loss of connection to nature loss of uh connection to a meaningful future loss of connection to work uh, loss of connection yep. to childhood trauma, all of these things, mm-hmm. and it's a, mm-hmm. a very comprehensive analysis of people, and it's very narrative based. So again, for anyone who's listening who wants to uh, enlighten themselves and make themselves a little bit better educated about why depression occurs, either in yourself or in the people that are around you, I can't recommend. It's the eighty twenty book on depression for me. Like just read it. Super easy read. A little bit long, but super easy read. And and you got it, man. But, yeah, the way that people deal with it, they just think America appears to have – and it's bad, right, because it reflects on you guys as a nation. People see Americans as this quick fix, transactional, transitory, like, lazy people because of that culture, which isn't true in terms of the culture. It's just in terms of how people are dealing with things. and it is
1: Historically, Im- it has not been true. Yes. Historically, yeah. Americans have been the hardest working people on earth. Historically. Right now, we're changing. Historically. And there's a dec- still a decent percentage of us who are not lazy. But that's all changing based on demographic factors and economic factors and cultural factors and all kinds of things. What so it's think- changing.
0: What do you think the trajectory has got in store for you guys at the moment? For what? Moving forward with with that particular, um, I guess, line of sight for whether people are going to continue, whether there's going to be something to change. Does there need to be a big intervention? Um,
1: there needs to be, but there won't be. Right. Where Americans are now set on their path, we peaked, I mean, I'm not a historian, but based on the stuff I've read, and I've heard a lot. America as a nation in relation to other nations peaked somewhere around the mid, I believe the mid to late 1960s. And since then, we've been on kind of on the downslope, especially if you compare us to other nations. Is that
0: happiness? And that is
1: – what's that? Is that happiness? That is one. Yeah. It's economics. Economically, position in the world, our currency, um, levels of happiness. So you, now you have depression. Suicide has gone up. All, all this crazy stuff. That's all happened. In my lifetime, I was born in 1972. And so in my lifetime, I have seen my country and most other countries in the Western world too. I don't want to just pick on my country, but I live here, so I see it. Yeah, I have seen my country get worse in literally every aspect except for crime rates have gone way down and technology has improved. Other than those two things, by every other measurement you could find, my country is worse off when I was a, from when I was a kid to now. And this is the first time Americans have experienced this. Historically- if you were a 47-year-old American, you would see your country, if you were born in the 1800s, 1700s, early 1900s, even mid-1900s, you would have seen your country grow and improve. Even with problems, we grew and improved in the 20th century, even though we had lots of problems. So you, but you would have seen a, a net growth. In, so like, for example, wages, real wages, for, as suggested for inflation, have been stagnant since I was one year old. And I'm, I'm almost 50. So I've never seen wages increase in my country as compared to inflation. So in the 1970s, my dad was a lower income worker. He made a low, he was a lower, lower middle class, maybe even upper lower class guy. And he he barely made any money, but he was able to, in the 70s, he was able to support a family of seven. He was oh able to support God. a stay-at-home mom, my wife, my wife, my mom, and us, I had five siblings, so the five of us. Yeah. And uh, that was in the late 70s, early 80s. Today, a guy that's not even possible for a guy today in the United States. You couldn't even do that. You have to make a six figure income or higher to maintain all that stuff. A low income guy can barely even support himself. A low income guy today would struggle to live on his own and have a car in the United States, in most cities, in most regions. So that's, and that's the difference I've seen since I grew up just in my lifetime.
0: Yeah, it's not I don't know, man. I don't know what the, I don't know what the future has got in store. I think again, for the UK we are a little bit less despondent because there's so much less turmoil. Like I look at America, especially yeah. American politics, and it, it
1: looks like um, a sitcom. Like that's how it appears. It is. Appears. <laughs> it is. You're, you are correct. The perception is reality. It's a sitcom. Okay. It's been a sitcom for quite a while. This is not, It's not with Trump. People think it started with Trump. It started long before Trump. But yeah, it's a sitcom. Correct.
0: And yeah, I, I see that. And I think... For some reason maybe it's just me with rose rose tinted glasses and some of the listeners may be saying that I'm completely wrong about this but I just the UK doesn't have that same degree of turmoil we're not as we're certainly not as polarized in terms of the of the politics. Yeah, I agree with you. Um and I yeah. think that just that like that on its own forces people when you have fewer people at the ends of each spectrum politically in terms of uh, how they identify with their pati- particular kind of thinking stance, which is what it's become, right? Political stance is now not just about politics. It downstream from that totally. Well, that surely that's got to affect your opinion on weed. Surely that's got to affect your opinion on alcohol and, and on pharmaceuticals and blah, 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 taxes and all the mm-hmm. rest of it. But uh, for the UK, people are a lot less identified with that. Um, we got a lot more rain to contend with, I think, than you guys. So there's a lot more like umbrella putting up and putting down and mm-hmm. um, but like i don't know it's it's interesting i wonder how I'd i'll be, be
1: there, there in uh, i'll be there in october i think october it'll still
0: yeah. be it'll still be okay weather by the time that you get here i was reading um just before we came on i was reading a news article and it was talking about how to sell apps to kids so it was an a, an advice piece for app developers about the two trigger points for getting apps to kids and we're talking like under I think it's like under sevens or under eights and it was like there's two different types of people that you can sell to one of them are the kids and then get them to kind of pester the parents and the other one's the parents i'm i i was looking at this article like i can't even believe that this is a thing like in whose right mind should anyone be targeting well why are you targeting apps at kids money (laughs) Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I, okay. Why, are you surpri- Are you really surprised? You shouldn't be
1: surprised. Not surprised.
0: I'm not. Not surprised. You are right. Not surprised. Yeah. But I am. Um, I'm concerned. No, I'm.
1: I'm biased in this area. I'm an extreme capitalist, so I'm very biased in this area. But still, no one should be surprised. Mm. Yeah, this the again. This is part of the world we live in. Sure.
0: Yeah, you are right. Um, so we touched on it before. Your uh, particular views on monogamy and dating and stuff like that. The listeners at home, as I mentioned before we started, we've, we've never had anybody on who has been a, a polyamory advocate or whatever you would even, I don't even know how you class yourself. So can you just take us from the beginning? Talk to us about your, your stance and about what it
1: means and stuff like that. So the non-monogamy, I don't call it polyamory because polyamory is a segment of non-monogamy. So polyamory is very specific. Polyamory is when you are dating multiple women and they are dating multiple men. So it's kind of this big happy group kind of falling all over each other, which is fine. That's one segment of non-monogamy. So I call it non-monogamy. A, it's a little less threatening than polyamory. And B, it's more inclusive of every, all the different types of non-monogamy. Cool. Um, So non-monogamy is not a core. I mean, it sounds like it is sometimes, depending on what you read of what I write. It's not the core of what I talk about. It is a important slice of the pie. So it really starts with long-term masculine happiness. And so the way men work, and women are different, but the way men work is the freer you are, on a given day-to-day basis, meaning you can wake up every morning and do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want, without having to check in with anybody or get anyone's permission, If you, the, more, the closer you are to that condition, the happier you tend to be. So you will be happier if you have your own business, generally speaking, than if you have a corporate wage job, because you have more freedom. You will be happier if you're allowed to have sex with multiple women whenever you want than if you're only allowed to have sex with one woman, at least long term and that's the way you're wired. You can't control this, that's just the way you are. There are rare and usual exceptions, but they're the rare and usual exceptions. So if you look at, when I talk about things like Alpha 2.0, that is an entire lifestyle where you're gearing your entire life around maximum freedom in all the seven areas of your life. The two core of those for a man being financial and sexual, that you start there, you start with those two core areas because those help you with all the other areas once those are at a baseline. And so, yeah, if you go into the woman part, You need to be allowed to, for number one, you need to have sex. A new movement now is guys not having sex. So that's not going to make you happy long term. You're a guy. So assuming you're having sex, you need to be allowed to have sex with multiple women because long term, you're not going to be happy with having sex with just one woman. Short term, you will. You can make it work for a while, a year and a half, two years, three years, whatever you are, every guy's different. But long term, and the models I talk about are all long term models that last for the rest of your life. Not just in your 20s and early 30s, but in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and so on. These are long-term models. So if you want a long-term happiness model, you've got to work in there in some way your ability to have sex with multiple women if you choose to. And there's four or five different ways you can do that. We can talk about those if you want. But that's that's where the non-monogamy comes from. It's not about non-monogamy. It's about long-term freedom, which creates long-term happiness for dudes. Why do you think men and women are so different? what's specifically,
0: obviously genetically, you've alluded to the fact that uh, man's genetic predisposition is to push his genes as far as is possible. However, right. it would appear based on some of the people who I've spoken to, uh, anthropologists, evolutionary biologists, that pair bonding has to occur. The reason that gestation is nine months and that uh, sex uh, is a long process, a pleasurable process. The fact that women don't have visual ovulation um mm-hmm. all of these sort of things the fact that con- conception is actually f- relatively fairly tough for uh humans compared with some other animals yes accurate. all all of yeah. that leads towards pair bonding pair bonding needs to occur because the infant is pretty Agreed. much dependent on the uh the mother of the family but specifically the mother for the first 10 to 15 years and you need to have a father around to protect that particular pairing or however many children there is that particular family unit you need to have the father around or else everybody dies because if a jaguar comes while you've got a mother we- all
1: accurate okay so-, so so now here's the problem this is where people get confused everything you just said is scientifically accurate <clears throat> i've written about this stuff myself so you're that's absolutely true human beings this and this is where people get messed up human beings are pair bonding creatures but they are not sexually monogamous creatures. There are two, those are two different things. So you can be, I'm a perfect example. I am pair bonded. I'm married. I am pair bonded to one woman who I share my life with, who I love. I don't love anyone else. I don't want to be with anyone else. I don't want to spend the rest of my life with anyone else, just her and her with me. So we are pair bonded, but I'm allowed to go out on the side and get laid whenever I want, whenever I choose with whomever I like. There's a few ground rules I agreed to, but beyond that I'm still allowed to be non-monogamous even though I'm pair bonded. So what happens is people quote these scientific facts and they are facts, absolutely true. And They say, see, we're monogamous. Well then why is it we have a 76% north of 76% divorce rate? Why do we have a 77% infidelity rate if we're monogamous? we are pair bonding creatures we are not monogamous creatures so again if you want to be long-term happy and i realize this is difficult because you're going to run into all kinds of societal programming and societal conditioning that tells you this is wrong you're going to have to be long-term in your life not when you're in your 20s i tell guys you shouldn't have a girlfriend here in your 30s my opinion so once you're an older guy yes you need to be pair bonded but not monogamous so that means you sit down with your special someone and you explain it to her like an adult hey i love you I want to be with you. I don't want to be with anyone else. And I'm a human being and I'm a guy. And that means A, B, and C. We could lie to each other like teenagers and say, well, we're in love and we'll be together forever. And we'll never want to sleep with anyone else because we're in love and Disney's and Narnia and unicorns and roses and shit. Or we can be adults and say, let's be together. Let's figure out a plan where we can integrate this into our lifestyles so I can be happy and you can be long-term happy because I'm happy. And we avoid all these problems or at least most of the problems that normal couples have the 76% divorce rate people I mean
0: the fact that there is such a high divorce rate uh, people just presume i guess if you just if you think about it or if you to ask the layperson on the street why is the divorce rate so high it's yeah. it would be maybe some kind of wistful heritage thing about well it wasn't that way in my parents day my parents are still together perhaps that Right would
1: they be- just cheated <laughs> Right, people stayed married and they and the men mostly men cheated. So they you, still weren't monogamous. Okay, so why? Long-term marriage and marriage working. Yeah. Well, they've been married for 47 years. He's never cheated? Maybe he hasn't, but the odds are I've talked to a lot of old guys, guys my grandfather's age, guys in their 90s, World War II guys. These guys were married and they stayed married, they were not monogamous. They cheated. You've seen, I don't know if you've seen the American show Mad Men about Americans in the 60s. It's, it was the standard model back then, you cheated. That's just what you did when you're a guy. Women too, not as much, but they did too.
0: Why has the divorce rate changed?
1: Because women are now allowed to do whatever they want. So back in the olden days, in like the 1950s, which a lot of guys in my world, the red, pyramid, the red pill manosphere world, I going to go back to, um, women weren't allowed to get divorced. So women would actually go into a court in the 40s, 30s, 50s, and say, I wanna divorce my husband. And the judge would say, what the hell? Get, get, you can't get to it, get back to your husband, next case. Or and or they were now or they couldn't do it financially they couldn't support themselves they needed to be married
0: ah, so we've got and
1: here. if they got divorced their their religious family would disown them
0: uh, so, so all we, these
1: factors all become, these factors are now gone women are now encouraged to get divorced now it's the opposite
0: well you've become more financially independent uh, more secular and more accepting I guess of divorce as a whole um, correct. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's, and not- it'll get
1: worse and it'll get worse. The divorce rate will increase. You're going to see soon in the next decade, you're going to see 90 plus percent divorce rates. Wow. People are very slow to figure this out. I've written about this a lot. They don't want to admit the system doesn't work anymore. So they're just going to keep getting married, keep getting divorced, keep screwing up their kids, keep getting financially raped, keep cheating on each other and yelling at each other. And it's going to be a while before human beings finally go, you know, we should probably pick a different system. This isn't working. It's going to be a while. Unfortunately,
0: the stats, I mean, you know, I, I, there's not much that I can say about the fact that more than three quarters of the people uh, who get married end up getting divorced. As far as I was aware, maybe it's a UK stat. I think it was more than 50. Um, but mm-hmm. you, no matter what the stat is, if m- it, there's a more likelihood, a high likelihood that you're going to get divorced than stay together, it's a worrying statistic. No matter what your views on monogamy are, it's a pretty worrying statistic.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Instead, people should figure out how to stay together like two normal human beings, the way human beings actually work, instead of the way human beings work in a Disney fairy tale, where well, we're was... going to get married and we're going to be in love forever. We're never going to fuck anyone else because we're in love. And that's because Snow White.
0: Yeah. What were you saying at the beginning about humans being mimetic creatures and about us taking a lot of societal conditioning? Swallowing that red pill, as you've alluded to, is... A difficult thing to do when everyone else around you hasn't right like when you you're
1: that's the big problem with guys in my audience that's one of the biggest questions i get i don't know any other men like me how do i if i tell my mom she's gonna get mad at me yeah that's the big challenge i've been working the last year and a half on that specific problem for guys to plug into more communities and things like that but yes that's the problem that's the problem because it, it's very rare these days, now 10 years ago I would get this, but these days it's very rare for a man to say, oh no, traditional monogamous marriage works great as long as you do these few things, and every guy should do that. Very rare a guy, even a hardcore right-wing evangelical Christian, even those guys don't say that. They say, yeah, it doesn't work, but I'm not going to do this and this, and non-monogamy, well fuck that, no. Okay, but that's fine, If you don't, you don't have to like it, but the alternative doesn't work you're pointing at something that doesn't work. So you've either got something that doesn't work or you've got something that works but makes you emotionally uncomfortable for a while. So those are your two options. I'd rather pick this, because I wanna be happy. I'm not gonna pick something that doesn't work. So
0: one of the first things that comes to mind for me when I think about a non-typical, non-monogamous uh, relationship, as your non-typical relationship which is non-monogamous, is what do you do about the kids? What do you do about raising children in that sort of an environment?
1: I know, I personally know about, let's see, as in right this second, I know, let's see, seven couples, six couples, and I've known many other couples, six six or seven, I have to think about that for a minute, who are married, who live together, no one really knows what kind of lifestyle they lead, other than close friends and people like me, and they have kids. As a matter of fact, when I was married the first time back when I was young and stupid, I was married a thousand years ago. I was married traditionally <laughs> and monogamously, and it didn't work because she got depressed and started taking pills. And uh, when we were married, while I was married, four, literally four houses down on my street, I didn't know this till after I had moved away. There was a married couple with two little kids who played with my kids who had a wide open marriage. I had no idea. As far as I know, they're still married. This is decades ago. They were, they, and they were the happiest couple on the block. And they had kids. Now, no one knew, that's why I didn't know. Didn't know till later. Just kind of for the great, I went, what? I actually called him up and said, is this true? I don't want to freak out here, but is it true that he's like, "Oh yeah." And, and my old thing, my old joke to myself is, if I had just sat down and talked to that guy for an hour before I got married the first time, incorrectly in my view, it would have saved me a lot of time and effort. So you can have kids, you just can't. I have kids, I raised kids under this model. I just got remarried, let's see, a year and a half ago? Yes, and so my daughter and my son were were little when I was living this way. You just, there are rules. You don't parade women around your kids, obviously. You need to show your kids some level of consistency. You need to be an example. You don't go out and telling everybody in their school or all your friends and family that what you're doing if you don't want to. People don't have to know what you're doing. That's, there's no requirement there. You just have to be realistic about your sexual desires. So yeah, you can have kids. A lot of people have kids, and again, if I say have an open marriage and have kids, immediately your societal programming goes well, – okay, fine. You can you can live your life like 2 plus 2 equals 5 if you want. That's fine. Cool. You won't be very happy. You have a lot of problems. You can do that. It's fine. I'd rather live 2 plus 2 equals 4 even if I don't really like 4 and 4 emotionally bothers me initially. That's how I look at it.
0: So uh, some of the listeners may have heard us talk about him before, but Aubrey Marcus, I don't know whether you know who that is, the guy that owns Onnit. I've heard that
1: name, but that's all I know. I've heard that name.
0: So he's the uh, CEO or founder of Onnit, which is a supplement supplement company that Joe Rogan is a a partner of. Um, Very big, very successful. Um, I haven't actually gone uh, spoken that much about Aubrey, but people who read my tweets will have seen that recently I had to unsubscribe from his newsletter. Um, Aubrey and his wife, Whitney, who is a very attractive, um, ultimate fighting championship type, uh, ring announcer, commentator type woman, uh, super mm-hmm. fit, very, very, but they are in a, I think it's classed as a polyamorous or an open relationship. I, there's probably a degree of granularity that you would be able to discern from what's going on that I, I'm not going to be able to get to. But um, And he talks about this experience when his wife brought home another man for the first time and mm-hmm. the way that he felt. And then he talked about the first time that he had sex with another woman and he said both of those situations, every time that his wife brought another man home, he was dry retching on the floor and it took him four months to get over. And oh my God, no. So this is, yeah. in his, this is in his email newsletter. One of the things I can say about Aubrey is he's very candid, right? So his email newsletter- Yeah, at is- least
1: he's being honest. That's very cool of him. He's being honest. That's great. We, we need more people like that, actually. So I, I applaud him for that. I, I'm one of the few guys in the world, I think, literally, who talk about my non-monogamous exploits and my experiences under my own name with my own picture and it's me
0: yeah
1: and uh, i there should be a lot more people than just me there are people i know with audiences my size are much larger who don't talk about this mm. so at least he's doing that but yeah one of the challenges with this are guys who do this wrong so everything he's describing i would never do in my marriage that doesn't work you you, you <sighs> I, I don't want to be mean to this guy. I have no idea. But no, yes, fire away. A lot you're, of,
0: you are, you're an expert in this particular field or as close to an expert as I can get hold of. So we're going to find out what you think. You about. have
1: to sit down. You have to sit down and be realistic about what will piss you off and what will not piss you off before you actually get into the relationship and before you even have these discussions. So that's number one. A lot of people don't even do that. They say, OK, we're open. A lot of more like left wing, like hippie type people. Oh, we're sexually free. It'll be great. And then, yeah, and then their wife brings a guy to the house and has sex with him. Oh my God. No. You have to you have to know your own parameters and be self-aware first. What am I capable of doing? What am I not capable of doing? If X, Y, and Z happen, would I be able to handle that or not? And you need to think that stuff through. And even if you need to write it down, you figure all this stuff out and get it all on paper first. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not a super jealous guy, but there are things my wife could do that would that would make me not wretch on the floor. But things like, oh, Jesus, what the hell? So you have to be aware of those things first. Then your partner has to be aware of her things. So she has to you need get into her head a little bit because she's probably not going to tell you and figure out what her parameters are internally. And every woman is very different. So, for example, um, my wife is more comfortable if she's more aware of the specific women I'm playing with on the side, whereas – my last serious relationship, the girlfriend I had before her, she was the opposite. If she didn't know, she, she knew I was doing it, but she didn't know any details. She was very happy. She thought it was fine. When she found out details or when I told her things, she would get really pissed off. So every woman is very different about this. So that's the first level. Then the second level is you sit down and you discuss the ground rules again before you get too serious. Once you're already moved in and married and now you're going to discuss ground rules, that's too late. So my wife and I had a very long detailed discussion. I called the OLTR talk. I have a whole structure for this stuff. This was several years ago. And I laid out all the negatives of being married to me. And non-monogamy was one of them. And that actually wasn't the one she was pissed off. There was like four or five of them. And that was just one. Matter of fact, the one she was scared about was that I work a lot. I work every day. She's like, well, she didn't care about the non-monogamy because I'd already been doing it the whole time she met me. So she was used to it at that point. It was more like, well, you're going to work a lot. You're never going to spend time with me. It was more of that kind of stuff. But you lay all that stuff out and then you lay out the ground rules and you're very specific about the ground rules based on what you're capable of and what you think you're not capable of emotionally. You just don't go hog wild and and bring men over. So he should have known, hey, look, look, wife, before she's my wife, hey, girlfriend, who are thinking about getting serious, we're going to be non-monogamous. Here are the parameters. But here's what you can't do. You can't bring guys over and fuck them on my couch that I'll throw up. You got to be honest about that stuff. And he didn't do that. And, and a lot of people don't do that, and and, and I – yeah, it, it it damages the cause when that happens. I see that a lot of
0: that. It reads to me the, the, the emails and the stuff that I've seen from him and uh, his semi-diary. He uses his uh, email list. Sometimes it almost feels a little bit like a journal. Um, wow. Well, that's kind of cool. That's neat. I, so the transparency from Aubrey I I really admire well, yeah, I think it's great. It was. I had to unsubscribe uh, Aubrey if you're listening. I apologize, but it was. It was too woke. Like it was so woke, and everything was like hyper woke. Each email that came through, and
1: I think, well, he's big. Into- those are the kind of people who screw this up. People who go too far with the left wing wokeness stuff. And we're we're creatures of nature, and it doesn't matter. And no, it does matter. It does matter to certain people, so you have to be aware of these things. Mm. There are there are boundaries to these things. Now, if you're not serious, then you can do whatever you want. So I talk about I have there's there's different types. There's FBS which are non serious. There's MLTRs where it's serious but not committed, and there's OLTR which is like a girlfriend or your wife. So there's levels, and there's less rules as you go further over to this side of the scale. You can do whatever you want over here. Over here, if you want to be pair bonded. You've got to commit to some level of rules. It's not. It's not a free for all. It's not going to work. It's not how human beings work. Unfortunately, It'd be nice if they did, but they don't.
0: Yeah. So I think what it seems to me. So Aubrey's a big like psychedelic warrior, right? Like he's big into his uh, mm. mushrooms and his DMT, and he goes away with the shaman and and gets like uh, does oh, all the ceremonies okay. and all that sort of stuff.
1: Not surprised, uh, I guess.
0: And I think yeah, it fits the model, right? Um, yeah. What I think. <laughs> what I think he was potentially doing with this was almost seeing it as like a rite of passage. I think he had seen this um, particular prescription for non-monogamy in whatever model it was that he thought uh, that he was going to adhere to. And then him and his then wife were going to fit their life around this prescription as opposed to having right. it be emergent, which is what you're talking about. He had seen, okay, this is what non monogamy is, therefore I'm gonna to stick to it. And I think he talks about, I think it's in his book, Seize the Day. He talks about how he brought this guy home and it was like this for the first X number of weeks or months or times or whatever that it happened. Oh my god. And then and then he had a breakthrough. And you sound the the, the terminology for breakthrough is taken from when people smoke DMT, right? It's that you have this breakthrough experience or you take a hero dose of mushrooms and you break through. And mm-hmm. I, I think he was maybe uh, trying to layer a, a psychedelic framework or like fit a non-monogamy into a psychedelic matrices. Like that was what he was trying to fit it into. Too woke. That, just, You're right. Too woke. Too woke. That's it. It could be summarized
1: in. He's lost objectivity and he's lost reality. You need to be objective about these things. I mean, And, and that's, that's an example. It's an interesting example of it going the other way. Most people are on the other side, more the right-wing side, including people who are considered left-wing people. It, marriage looks like this and a relationship looks like this and it better look like this or you're a sinner or I'm never going to get – usually people are on the other side of irrationality. He's on this side of the irrational. There's a rational zone in the middle between those two extremes. Mm. You've got to be rational about how human beings are, but you also have to be rational and objective and self-aware enough to know what your limits are. And every guy's different, and every woman's different.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one, man. It's an interesting one. I, I mean, his this the penultimate email to the one that I unsubscribed from. The title was "Me and Whitney nearly split up today," and that's him and his him and his wife. And I'm like, I appreciate. You,
1: yeah, it's a little too much information. He shouldn't it's, be. Yeah,
0: it's no. the wokeness, man. Like, so I appreciate the the um, transparency, yeah. and I, I genuinely do think, and it plays into his shtick, right? It's part and parcel of his thing, but. I'm like, man, like if you and your wife are on the verge of splitting up, don't use that as your fucking weekly newsletter content. Yeah, like that's correct. that's that's a piece of advice. And another piece of advice, like he talks <laughs> in the, the fucking first or second line of this uh, of his Instagram post from the same day was like, um, Whitney left to go to Texas to see her boyfriend today.
1: I'm so really... that is – this is an example of what you were talking about earlier about what polyamory is, the difference between polyamory and an open relationship. OK. So in my view – and this is this is not a fact more than my opinion. Yep. But I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. If you want to be pair bonded, that person shouldn't have other boyfriends because that's not pair bonding. So if your wife has a boyfriend – Or if you're married and you have another girlfriend on the side, a girlfriend, that's not pair bonding. Yeah, he has two. He has
0: has two girlfriends.
1: He has two girlfriends. Okay, So if he views these as real girlfriends, real emotional meaning and commitment to these women in addition to his wife, that's not pair bonding. That's something else. That's that's more polyamory. So that'd be a polyamorous marriage, which I don't I'm against. I think that's a very bad idea. I think polyamory is great if you are not pair bonded. So for many years. And in, in my parlance would be MLTR. So I had multiple MLTRs for years, and it was great. But I didn't have a girlfriend. They were all women I, were da- I was dating, and I really liked, and I liked on an emotional level. But they weren't a girlfriend. Once you have a girlfriend, that's pair bonding. So if you have multiple girlfriends, I've talked to a lot of guys about this, hundreds of guys about this. Almost never have I seen that work long term, to have multiple in the Western world. I mean, you could move to Saudi Arabia or do something else. But in the Western world, having multiple girlfriends or multiple wives or something to that equivalent, it doesn't work long term in the West. You can't do that. If you're going to be pair bonded, you need to be pair bonded. I am with you. I have no other girlfriends or wives except you. I'm allowed to go get laid on the side. These are not my girlfriends. These are women who are my friends. FBs, which is friend with benefits. It's a friend, not a girlfriend. So I have an OLTR. I have a wife and I have FBs. They're not my girlfriends. They're just my buddies, and we have sex, and that's it. We don't go on dates. We don't spend the week together. I already have that with my wife. That's more. That's a more long-term, sustainable model.
0: I understand. I think, Aubrey, if you're listening, we got some advice for you, man. Get in touch with Caleb. He'll, he'll, uh, he'll do a little rundown and maybe, maybe give you a little bit of a—
1: He needs to downgrade his girlfriends to FBs. He needs to make his wife his only wife and his only girlfriend, and she needs to make that kind of commitment too. And if she doesn't want to, they should get divorced, and they should just date. There we go. We, now it's sustainable. We That's fixed a sustainable it.
0: model. I might re- I'll re-sign up to his newsletter and I'll reply and I'll give him i <laughs> yeah. give him the too long didn't read from the podcast, man. Yeah. So um one of the things that I've I've been thinking in the back of my mind, and I can't fantastically put myself in the mind of a, a female, but to the girls that are listening, I would love to hear what your thoughts are about this, whether or not you would have ever considered this or whether it's so kind of visceral and stomach turning because of the way that you uh, naturally consider couples and partnerships to be that it's difficult to almost put yourself into this situation but I think certainly one of the things that that will come to mind for many people when and i'm I'm very empathetic right like my my empathy is crippling, so for me to think. <laughs> about um the way that you're probably a
1: nicer person than me though you're probably a nice
0: guy uh yeah but too nice sometimes and unfortunately people right. people if they realize that if they realize how empathetic you are it's a big big advantage taking oh, thing yes. so, um yes. and it, ca- it causes you to move slow as well like you when you're super concerned about how your actions are going to affect other people it often yes. causes I- you to uh, to uh, drop into inertia um mm-hmm. so but we all have our our shortcomings and our advantages right like there's people out there who might not have the empathy but they have a whole host of other issues they got to deal that's
1: with. me I have very I have extremely I've been told and then they're right extremely low empathy I, I barely give a shit about anything so the advantage is I can move very quickly I can get a lot of things done I have a very organized very good life the disadvantage is I can hurt people's feelings if I'm not careful people close to me so I so as a, as you grow, you have to learn to mitigate those weaknesses. So you have to learn to become, stay empathetic, but not let it hamper you. And I have to learn how to be more empathetic.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. man.
1: Is It is
0: interesting how you do that. Do you find um, within the non-monogamy community, uh, people skew to less empathetic? I'm going to
1: guess maybe. No. It's. Really? No, I don't. I, I run into people who are more like you. Okay, that's interesting. Especially the polyamory people, and I am really not in that group. Yeah, I mean they're non-monogamy, so they're my brothers. I love them, but yep. but I am not a polyamorous guy. Yep. So, but yes, especially the polyamory world. Yes, much more empathetic guys. Yes, interesting. absolutely.
0: That's interesting. But yeah, so to try and put myself into the mind of a of a girl uh, thinking about this particular situation, certainly one of the problems that you may come up against. I am going to guess you will have a a uh, format for this or a structure for this that exists where you have a man who does want to uh, be able to have other partners outside of his main uh, relationship, but mm-hmm. that-
1: Which is f- all men. But go ahead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the f- the uh, girl in the relationship has no desire to be with other men.
1: Normal. Normal.
0: Yeah. But that, I think what just that- Just is- describe
1: the norm. Okay. What At that, least in the earlier parts of the relationship. You just described the norm. He wants to play around and she doesn't, doesn't want to or doesn't want to yet.
0: What that leads to people thinking, and what it certainly leads to me thinking, is that there's, there's some kind of imbalance, unfairness between the two, that somehow the open, non-monogamous relationship would <laughs> work more easily or would somehow be more balanced, is a way to put it, if both partners had other things going on.
1: That's true, but if one partner doesn't want those things, which happens all the time, it's happened to me a lot, yeah, then fine. Mm. The, the, as long as she is allowed to, because that's one of the first questions she's going to throw at your face when you start describing these things to her. The very first thing I, that's going to tumble out of her mouth is, well, can I fuck other guys? Even if she doesn't want to, and has no intention to do, and thinks it's gross. If she were to do that, she's still going to say that, and if you say, blah, 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 well, then you're out. If you say, yes, if you really want to do that, yes, of course. Then she goes, oh.
0: Cool. So, I mean, so there we lead on to the next thing, which is that for men, and again, this is evolutionary conditioning. For men, allowing your partner to sleep with other men provokes an incredibly visceral response. Incredibly. And if you want to have your cake, you need to – I'm going to guess that it's probably uh, – pretty difficult sell to say our relationship is going to be non-monogamous but only for me
1: and not long-term sustainable okay so if i've never seen that i've seen guys try that i've never seen it last more than nine months
0: where the guy is a numerous to,
1: men try that in the western world
0: guys able to sleep around girl isn't
1: yeah so he's literally says i'm gonna fuck other women you can only fuck me and she's like and he's a strong alpha male and she's a little willowy little submissive girl and she goes oh okay and within nine months, they either break up or she bangs someone else just to, get, just to make it even yeah. and to balance it out just to get back at it.
0: Yeah. So for guys, I mean, like for me personally, again, maybe I'm too blue pill or maybe I haven't taken the red pill yet enough for this. I struggle to see a situation in which I would be able to stomach somebody that I love sleeping with someone else with my uh, allowance, with my um, grace.
1: So there's several answers to that. Answer number one, and they're in their different areas. So answer number one is a significant percentage of women who are not super young. So if she's under the age of 23, she's gonna have sex with other guys. That's that's what young girls do. If she's older, a significant percentage, and in my experience, in my anecdotal experience, but I have a lot of anecdotal experience, it's around 40 to 50% won't sleep with other men. Even if they have the opportunity to, they don't want to, they think that's gross. So even though you're sleeping with other women, they say, okay, you're a man, you're a barbarian, that's how men are, but I don't do that, I'm appropriate, I'm a Christian, or I'm a this, or I'm a that, so I'm not going to do that. So that's one. Number two, if she does, women are not like men. And so what men do is they negative fantasize about, well, well, if she, if I'm allowed to go out and have sex constantly with other women, and I'm going to constantly do that for the rest of my life, oh, no, she's going to constantly do that. No, she doesn't. Women go through horny phases They go through non-sexual phases. They go through all kinds of different phases. So if she does, she might do it for a few months and then stop and never do it again. Or maybe do it once every 10 years or once every few years, off and on very rarely. She's not going to do it consistently like I do it or like you would do it because we're men. Men are not like women. That's the second answer. Third answer is you should train yourself to get to the point where you care less. So if you're a jealous person, it's going to be harder for you to be a happy person. So if you have this thing where and a lot of guys are like this, there's, there's guys who are really jealous, guys who are moderately jealous, and guys who don't really don't give a shit. So the really jealous guys, if they even see a guy comment on her Facebook page, or they hear a thing on Instagram go off on her phone, and they just go into a rage, you have a problem. There's something wrong with you, you need to fix. You don't say, well, I'm a man and that's just how I am, and and quote a bunch of, you know, evolutionary psychology about how I need to, you know, protect my women and I'm not going to, you can, you can give me all that science you want. You're, there's something wrong with you in terms of your long-term happiness if you're that angry and that jealous. So if you are on a scale from one to 10, you're a 12. If you visualize a woman you like having meaningless sex with a beta male, who's no competition to you wearing a condom, if that just drives you insane, then it's, it behooves you in terms of being a man and being a happy man and to prove yourself To get that 12 down to a 6 or a 7 or a 5 or somewhere in there, drop it down. You should do that anyway, even if you would plan on being monogamous for the rest of your life, you would do that anyway. You shouldn't go through life being that touchy about these things because that's all I see all the time. And that's one of women's biggest complaints about guys is they start seeing them and all of a sudden the guy starts to just put all these fences and walls around them and the woman's attraction for the man goes down. She's like, ugh. Now for a while she likes it because that means he likes me. But after a while, oh, my God, kill me. And that's one of the reasons why 75% of boyfriend-girlfriend relationships are terminated by the female
0: because the woman gets tired of this stuff.
1: Is that the statistic? That's the stat, three-fourths. Three-fourths of boyfriend-girlfriend relationships are ended by the woman and 70 to 80%, depending on the study you look at, at least in the United States, of divorces are initiated by the female. So women like getting into relationships. Women hate staying in relationships. It's not what they like.
0: You could argue that that the girl is ending the relationship because they potentially found out that the man had cheated.
1: That's a huge percentage of them, yes. And one of the reasons I'm being able to do this, you can do this now, especially now. uh, If a woman starts complaining about this, if you start, start explaining this to a woman when you first start verbalizing it, oh, you can't fuck other girls. That's not what a relationship looks like. All you have to do, I've done this with many women, including my wife when I met her. All you have to do is say, you look at her and you say, every boyfriend you've ever had of a decent period of time has cheated on you, right? And they go, and that's it, you're in, you're done. That, that covers so much of it because they know monogamy doesn't work. So that's the fourth answer is, the fourth answer is, what is your alternative? Your alternative is something that doesn't work, that we know for sure doesn't work. It's not like maybe this might work. We know for sure the odds are overwhelming that it probably won't work. So by saying I can't do this, again, you're going back to a system that doesn't work. I think so lot, you have all that's. Those are my four answers to that.
0: I think a lot of people, because of the visceral reaction that you'll get, maybe the dry retching on the floor or just the sensation that people get, both guys and girls, when you think about, you know, to the people that are in relationships who are listening, just for a second, put yourself in the mind and think what would happen if you tried to have an open relationship or a non-monogamous relationship where you were allowed to sleep with other people, but you had to put up with your partner sleeping with someone else, it evokes such a a very, very visceral response. It does. I think that is a hurdle so many people will struggle to get over. Um, and I'm going to guess potentially more guys will struggle to get over that hurdle of allowing the partner to sleep with other people
1: than correct. maybe even girls. Yeah. I thought, yeah, no, not maybe that is correct. Guys have much harder much harder problem with this than women do.
0: Cool. I thought- women
1: are accustomed to men sleeping around throughout all of human history. So they're kind of used to it. They don't like it, but they're more, it's men who have a problem with it.
0: Yeah. Interesting.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean
0: that, that response- and that's
1: why the divorce rate is going to continue to get worse because of what you just said. What's working, what what people are doing now isn't working, but the alternative is so horrible, they're going to keep going back to what isn't working over and over and over. Unless your goal in life, and there are a few men who say this to me, but not many, unless your goal in life is to have serial, short-term, monogamous relationships for the rest of your life. So in other words, if you tell me, hey man, my goal is to have a girlfriend, and I'll have her for about a year and a half, two years, then I'll break up with her, it'll be monogamous, then I'll get a new girlfriend and I'll date her for about a year, and I'll have a new girlfriend. Do that that 20 times for the rest of my life. For the rest of your life. If you say, look, I'm cool doing that until in my 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and you really say that with honesty, then you can ignore everything I'm saying because that'll work. Other than that, if you want something long-term, you're going to have to embrace a model that is something other than what doesn't work.
0: So as a bookend question to what has been a really interesting discussion, I'd love to hear your thoughts on What you think is the optimal setup for a relationship in life? So we've talked about, you've, you've had multiple long-term partners moving through. Would it, would you have preferred in a different iteration of the world where you could control everything that occurred within it? Do you think it's optimal to have a, uh, what I can't remember, the MLFB or whatever it was? uh, OLTR. So one, one.
1: one wife or girlfriend, you mean?
0: Yes. Is it optimal? if you can, to have one for 60 years, 30 years, however long, from mid-30s until whenever, or from...
1: Are you you talking about optimal as in how human beings are now? For you, if you were to say to someone, this
0: is what I think is, for a broad cross-section of people, the best way to do things.
1: Yes, for a broad cross-section of men, but not all men, because there are exceptions to all these rules. There are some men who should never pair bond. There is a small percentage of men who should never have a girlfriend. They should just go bang chicks and date and into their 60s and 70s. And there's a – that's an exception. Um, yes, for a broad cross-section of people, the least bad scenario – because I don't want to say best because there's problems with what – there are problems with the models I'm talking about. Yes. Everything you've talked about, are those are accurate criticisms. The least bad system is a long-term pair-bonded wife or girlfriend, however you want to term it assuming you're over the age of 35 because i tell guys don't don't settle down with a woman until you're at least 35 that's insane at least you're 35 so assuming you're 35 or older you have a long-term decades-long wife or girlfriend that you are really good with and you're very complimentary with and compatible with and you are allowed to get sex on the side within ground rules these are not your girlfriends this is more casual friendly sex when you need it as a man and she is allowed to too. And the older she gets, the less she'll do it. She may not do it at all. If she gets older. That's the least bad scenario for the broadest cross section of people. Yes, because that is that what I just described is doable long term. What is not doable long term is we're going to be married. You're never going to touch anyone else for the rest of your fucking life. And I won't either. And you roll your eyes as you're saying it when you're a guy. I promise I won't either, honey. And we're never going to get divorced. We're never going to split up. That's not long-term sustainable because that is a fundamental violation of everything in which – all the ways in which you were designed as a man and as a woman. That's why it doesn't work.
0: Okay, so I'm going to finish off with a question, which is you've got the monogamy, which is the traditional relationship approach, which you've just identified there. And then you've got Aubrey's relationship, which is I'm going yeah. to have a wife and the wife's going to have – which one that's, poly-
1: is, that's a polyamorous marriage. Which one is
0: the – in your eyes, the least effective?
1: Which one's Neither of those are long-term sustainable.
0: Which one's going to fail first?
1: His. How long has he been married?
0: Oh, I'm not sure. I don't know.
1: His. His will. You can, you can grit your teeth and be monogamous to a wife for a long time. I did it for nine years. And I'm a really high sexter So you can do it. Men and women can grit their teeth and suffer through shitty marriages. A lot of people can do that. They did that all throughout the 50s and 60s and all that good stuff. So you can have a marriage traditional monogamous marriage that lasts a long time it won't last forever that's not how you're designed and if it does last forever someone's cheating and someone's putting up with it
0: but someone's going to encounter in the polyamorous marriage someone's going to encounter a problem that is that is catastrophic
1: to to the relationship if he's retching on the floor because there's a man fucking his wife in his house (laughs) how is that long-term sustainable it's not can't do it
0: Well, I mean, I I asked myself. Whereas the
1: guy who has a wife at home and he cheats on her and hopes he doesn't get caught, you can stretch that out for a a long time. Not forever, but you could stretch that out, sure.
0: Some some people make it last for their entire lives,
1: right? And that's fine, but that's not monogamous. So that's what I would view dysfunctional non-monogamy. You're non-monogamous because you're cheating. You're having sex with multiple people. You're just pretending you're not. So now you're dealing with drama and lying and all kinds of other problems. That are dysfunctional to your core relationship with your wife. And again, I if, don't have to lie to my wife.
0: If ever. you're, if you're a, a, an empathetic individual as I am, the the times that I have cheated in past relationships have caused such second order, third order, fourth order effect guilt, and then self referential guilt, and then you know all of those things, feelings mm-hmm. of uh, lower degree of virtue, lower degree of integrity, all of those sorts of things. Um, that for me, I was like, well, I, that's, that's not, not a workable model. Cheating, being in a relationship and cheating is not a workable model for me.
1: Not if you want to be happy. No, not if you want to be happy. I've talked to a lot of guys about that model and that's, they they tell me exactly what you're saying or very, or they're terrified. They're constantly worried. They're going to get caught. They have multiple phones and multiple accounts and all that good stuff. That is not a long-term sustainable model. If happiness is your objective. Now, if you say to me, and there's a few men who say this, I don't care about being long-term happy. I don't give a fuck about that. I want to live my life this way. Yeah, you might be happier than me. I don't care. Great, then go ahead and cheat. But if your objective is long-term happiness, you are correct. You can't adopt a cheating model long-term. You've got to figure out something else that is more long-term sustainable, even if it makes you uncomfortable during the first few months or year or two, you try it.
0: That's interesting. Caleb, for the listeners at home, who want to find out a little bit more. Maybe some people think, oh, it's an interesting discussion that I want to read a bit more about. Where would you direct them?
1: I have a lot of websites. The easiest place to go would be calebjones.com. So C-A-L-E-B as in boy, jones.com. That's kind of the central hub of all my websites. Yeah. A lot of my content is business and location-dependent income and all that good stuff too. Again, non-monogamy is a segment of what I talk about in terms of masculine – I can't talk. Masculine lifestyle design.
0: Yeah, I got you. Well, Caleb, it's been been really interesting. I hope that we have uh, opened some people's eyes to uh, – alternative approach to relationships. I think certainly for me over the last few years, I've seen people talk about non-monogamy in different um, uh, versions as we've gone through today. Increasingly, I do wonder what the trajectory of that's going to be. I wonder whether people are going to dig their heels in as divorce rates continue to go up. I wonder whether people are going to dig their heels into the existing model more or whether more people will begin to migrate across to non-monogamy.
1: I think you're going to see a lot of both.
0: Everything gets polarized, man. But it's been it's been really fascinating. Thank you so much for your time.
1: You bet. Anytime.
0: Catch you later on, man.
1: All right. You too.